Hello, and welcome back to the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Carney, and I'm an outdoor and environmental writer and author of the book, Outdoor Minimalist, Wasteless Hiking, Camping, and Backpacking. The Outdoor Minimalist Podcast has the goal to give listeners actionable ways to waste less hiking, camping, backpacking, and more during every step of their process. Your impact outdoors starts long before you hit the trail and goes beyond leave no trace ethics. You'll learn how to identify sustainable outdoor brands, how to ask hard questions regarding sustainability, and begin to shift and evolve your mindset to integrate minimalism into all of your outdoor pursuits. We talk a lot about how we impact the environment on this show, but what about how the natural world impacts us? It's no secret that climate change has upped the ante when it comes to extreme weather events and natural disasters. This summer alone, I've experienced some of the effects of wildfires in the Pacific Northwest, and there have been countless hurricanes across the United States. And in all of these situations, people and homes are lost. That's why in episode 102 of the Outdoor Minimalist podcast, we are providing resources so you can prepare for natural disasters and other emergencies. September is National Preparedness Month, and today's guest is going to ensure that we're ready, no matter the type of emergency. Brad Greer has over 20 years of experience in healthcare, cybersecurity, identity theft, law, litigation, insurance, and government affairs. Greer and five others helped start up the United States' leading identity theft protection company, LifeLock, in 2005. He served as the primary interface for the company on legislative, administrative, and regulatory issues with the state and federal government. Greer is now the CEO of DrySea. DrySea is a worldwide patented technology involving a waterproof, breathable liquid indicating bandage. The latest rendition of the device addresses a large market opportunity with a waterproof covering a water invasion indicator near the edge and center of the bandage with cost-effective materials that ensure profitability and multiple patient benefits from a disposable bandage. Adventuring plans on your calendar? Remember to grab your Lava Linens travel towel on your way out the door. Founded by a mother-daughter team, Lava Linens crafts durable, luxurious travel towels as a more sustainable and better performing alternative to microfiber and cotton towels. Powered by flax, hemp, and tensile, they're designed to be by your side for years to come. Use the code OUTDOORMINIMALIST for 15% off your next order. Thank you so much, Brad, for being here and joining me on the Outdoor Minimalist podcast today. I am excited that you had time to jump on for the start of September, which is National Preparedness Month. And as many of us know that emergencies and natural disasters can really happen any time of year. So this information is relevant no matter when you happen to be listening to this episode. So to start, we'll just start how we traditionally do, and I'll ask you... Um, when you started to get involved in outdoor recreation and how you enjoy being outside. Yes, I enjoy being outdoors. We live in Houston, so we eat outdoors whenever we can. I enjoy cycling. There's a park behind our neighborhood where I cycle, snow skiing, hiking, or just walking about the neighborhood with the dog and my wife in the evenings. So outdoors is an important part of our lives. Is there snow skiing in Texas? I don't know that much about Texas, actually. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> and last March, I had a business meeting in Salt Lake City, so I brought our oldest daughter with me. We went a day early, and we skied Park City. 
Oh, that's awesome. What a beautiful area. I love Salt Lake City. Yeah. So have you been based out of Texas your whole career? Are you from Texas? Yes, I uh, was born in uh, Houston and I've lived other places. I lived in Austin when I went to the uni, the University of Texas. As a kid, third, fourth, and fifth grade, uh, I lived in Augusta, Georgia. That's why I have this accent going. Yeah, I was wondering. I was. It didn't sound like a Texan accent, so I was definitely curious. And I do cover a little bit about your career and kind of like work history in the introduction, but because we are talking specifically about preparedness, what is your background and experience working with natural disasters? Are you asking work-related or just generally speaking with disaster? Either or, you know, like if you have worked directly with it in your career, you can speak on that. But if you've also experienced them, whatever. Yeah, with natural disasters and work, well, we're in healthcare, we're in wound care. So we're in the business of helping wounds heal safely and faster. Uh, Generally speaking, we do live in Houston and we live in a home in West Houston. It had never flooded in 55 years. And then we had Hurricane Harvey, which dropped, I think, two trillion gallons of water on the Houston area. And our house did flood. The problem there was is that we have two large flood control reservoirs, and they were backing up into the suburbs of Houston. So the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers purposely released the flow out of those dams, out of those reservoirs, and purposely flooded our homes in order to save probably 100,000 more homes upstream. So vivid experience there. There was 23 inches of water in our home. We would kayak into our home, into the living room to gather personal effects and items that we could, especially on the second floor. I was wearing rain boots during those exercises and had a small, small open wound. I didn't have waders on, and I know your guests and listeners are familiar with waders, hunters, people that fish wear them in their rain boots, and it's all one piece of rubber apparel that comes up to your mid-torso. That's what you need if you're walking through any floodwaters. I had rain boots. I ended up with staph infection, had to go to the emergency room for an antibiotic drip, and ended up in the New York Times over that very subject. Wow. I did not know that. That's intense. Is that kind of how dry sea formed then? Is that, was it after that experience that you created this bandage? Well, it was after that experience and that certainly was a part of the motivation to help patients, help people heal safely and quicker with our patented liquid indication technology. In addition to that, my brother-in-law is an example He had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and is typical with cancer patients, they wear a port, a chemo port, for a week or two, and they can't shower. They can't shower. They can't damage that port. So in part, dry sea was created to help those patients, cancer patients. We have a 5 by 10 bandage or dressing that will go over that port, and you can shower and bathe or even swim with confidence. And if dry sea changes color you know it's time to change your bandage. Wow, that's amazing. I love that. It's a really great innovation, and it sounds like it has a lot of different applications in the medical field and just in like our normal daily use because a lot of different things can happen. 
And since most listeners live in the United States, I know that your reference to Hurricane Harvey was in the United States. But I think when we're talking about natural disasters for this episode, it'll probably be easier to focus on North America. I know that we have listeners in other countries, so this information is likely relevant to you too. But if we're thinking just about the United States, what do you think are some of the most common natural disasters that people would be experiencing? Well, we are in peak hurricane season, which does run from June 1st to the early part of November, and tropical storms and hurricanes affect Texas and the Gulf of Mexico all the way around Florida and all the way up to Massachusetts and New England. All of those states have experienced natural disasters and and damage and deaths from hurricanes, you know, in the past 15 years. So, that's certainly a, a U.S.-wide concern, and, and, and those are events we have to be prepared for. In addition to that, we have what's called Tornado Alley. Now, officially, those states are, oh, Texas, Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, et cetera. But because of changes in the climate we've seen in the past 10, 15 years, that the true geographic tornado alley has moved further east, Arkansas, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, northern Louisiana. So states that weren't in tornado alley before are today, and uh, we've got to be prepared and ready for those events. And then as many listeners probably have been aware of for most of this last summer as well, no matter where you live in the United States, there's also the chance of wildfires. I know where I live in the Pacific Northwest, there is just kind of a wildfire season where you can expect there to be a lot of fires and smoke. And if people pay attention to the news, they'll probably remember the fire on Maui in Hawaii. And that was a devastating disaster. So I think when we're talking about natural disasters, if we want to stick to like fires and tornadoes and hurricanes, I know that there's other ones, you know, like mudslides, general flooding, and I don't know, can the Pacific Ocean, they get like that side gets like the earthquakes and then tsunamis, not as often as like Asian countries, I would guess, but it's possible. So But all of them, not all of them, but a lot of them have to deal with water. (laughs) Water and wind is like a common theme other than with fires. So I think that will be really interesting to kind of discuss what and when to prepare and what to know depending on where you live. Because in some areas, like multiple of these disasters can happen, right? But other than natural disasters, okay, I'm kind of going on a little rant here, but other than natural disasters, what are other types of emergencies that people would want to prepare for? Well, fire, we've talked about wildfire, whether it's Maui or the massive fires in British Columbia the summer of 2017. Be prepared there, earthquakes on the West Coast. But remember, earthquakes also occur at times in Oklahoma, Missouri and South Carolina. So we've got to be prepared uh, there. And wildfires can really happen anywhere in the United States when you've got a lot of heat and a lot of drought conditions, as we do in most of the South and the Midwest. You prepare differently in ways for every uh, type of natural disaster. We could start with tornadoes, if you'd like. And tornadoes, you've got to have a plan. If you've got a tornado shelter, as many folks do, Make sure you've got supplies in that tornado shelter in the fall and the spring during tornado season. 
And if you don't have a tornado shelter, you know, find an interior room, preferably a bathroom with a large wash tub or bathtub where um, you and your loved ones can stow away in that bathtub until that dangerous weather passes. Yeah, and my, from my understanding, the bathroom is kind of like the choice because it usually doesn't have windows. Is that right? Well, that can be the case, but the bathtub, uh, you know, there's some strength to it, whatever it's made of, and it's got four sides to it. And if you've got some plywood, you can place that plywood over the bathtub. That'll help keep you protected if a tornado is coming your way. Yeah, and we can kind of, for this part of the episode, if you want, we can kind of just like break it up for each disaster, like kind of how you just explained for the tornadoes. And then after that, we'll get into like more of the nitty gritty of exact supplies to have, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I could just, if I move to tropical cyclones and hurricanes, you know, have waders, have flood insurance. Homeowners insurance doesn't cover floodwaters. Typically, they cover wind damage, but not flooding and floodwaters. So make sure you have flood insurance and have enough coverage that you can possibly have in case there are floodwaters. As far as fires go, and this would apply to hurricanes and tropical storms, you've got to have an evacuation plan, an evacuation route. You've got to have an emergency plan meeting with your family members. This is what we're going to do if there's a wildfire. This is our escape route. Our local government says this is the best escape route. Have your automobiles fueled up. Make sure that automobile battery is, is up to snuff and full of power. And, of course, make sure you've got gasoline and then tires that are going to be suitable for your evacuation. If there is, for any reason, like an evacuation order or you just choose to leave on an area, are there kind of like best practices for that? Should most people be leaving in vehicles? And what should they be considering if they are in a vehicle? Right. Well, uh, yeah, take care of your elders, your young people and pets. But vehicles are going to be the first and best opportunity for you to evacuate. You know, some places in the United States, they don't have either evacuation plans or routes or evacuation routes that are adequate. So if you live in a large urban environment, you don't have a first and then second and third option for your evacuation. Know your maps, know your geography, and have a plan B and C before you do evacuate. And then I want to talk specifically, I think, about the water-based disasters and leaving in vehicles, because even though it's likely the fastest and best option in a lot of circumstances, what happens if areas start flooding and you're in a car? Yes, very, very good question. If you're in a car, just do not drive into floodwaters at all. All it takes is a little bit of water to seep into the floorboard of your automobile and it'll destroy those automobile control computers and make it immobile, number one. And number two, water is extremely dense and heavy. So it's difficult to get out of a car if you've driven into floodwaters. So you're likely to destroy your car and you could face injury or worse if you drive into floodwaters. Never, ever drive into floodwaters. And don't walk into floodwaters either without being protected. I mean, we saw some of this in the news with the Hurricane Adalia in Florida, 
folks walking around in flip-flops in the floodwaters. Those floodwaters are typically toxic and full of pathogens and can cause injury and infection. I know that there are ways to escape a vehicle if you go into water, and that would have something to do with the items that you have in your emergency or first aid kits. And according to the CDC, 48% of Americans don't have emergency supplies and 44% don't even have a basic first aid kit. So how do you think we can get those numbers up, first of all? (laughs) And then second of all, what should people include in those types of kits? Another good question. Uh, And that number is higher for folks not having first aid kits or emergency kits in their car. So have one in your vehicle, uh, have it uh, accessible, not in the trunk. So that's very, very important. And first aid kits, you can buy them at your local retailer, you know, antiseptics, bandages and dressings are are important, alcohol wipes, painkillers, If the weather's cold, emergency blankets, hats, and mittens. And if you have an emergency kit or first aid kit, for that matter, make sure that you have your medicines, especially if you've got uh, medicines that you have to take frequently, because if you evacuate, you may be gone for a day or two or three. Which brings us to another point in serious or damaging weather events, you might lose electrical power or air conditioning or heat or all of the above. So in your uh, emergency kit, first aid kit, and in your home, make sure you've got fresh batteries for your flashlights. I I have a headlamp that's very powerful. And make sure those are ready to go in the event of serious weather. And would you recommend generally for people to, I guess some people call it like a go bag to have an emergency bag just stored and ready and so they can grab it and leave as fast as possible or where should people be keeping these things? Right. And on the topic of first aid kits, emergency kits, if you have a multi-level home, have those kits on the first floor and the second floor in the event there's flooding. But yes, have a place for what you're calling an emergency pack, bottled water, snacks, Again, medications and portable phone chargers. You know, if you lose power in your car or you're in an auto accident, have that portable phone charger charged up and ready to go and have them charged up and ready to go at home as well if you happen to be trapped in your home during a serious weather event. And I know that these kits will probably look different for different types of emergencies in different areas that you live. So kind of like how you explained just the general emergencies beforehand, would you be able to kind of like break down what some of the differences might be depending on the type of disaster? Sure. Fire extinguishers are important to have in your home. And if you have to evacuate, you know, throw one or two of them in your automobile if you're uh, evacuating. Uh, That's critically important. Possibly even emergency flares, you know, in the emergency kit, scissors, tweezers. If you're in a serious accident, you're waiting on emergency personnel. You might have a nurse in the family and he or she may be able to dress a wound, you know, on the spot before emergency personnel arrive. Now, if you are evacuating and there's traffic and there's crazy drivers out there, you know, there's a potential for an auto accident. And if that happens and you happen to slip off of a ravine down a hill, also have an emergency whistle with you. 
because if you're down the hill, you can blow that whistle and that'll notify emergency personnel that you need help. Yeah, those are all great tips. And I guess I'm kind of wondering if you are, say, in an area where it's more likely you'd be evacuating for a wildfire versus a hurricane, what would be the differences in your emergency kits there? Well, fire extinguishers, water, certainly don't have anything that's aerosol-based or combustible. In fact, there's a product that um, many people have in their bathrooms. It's um, it's an aerosol spray that dries your hair. So if you pack a bag and you're in a, a serious fire or wildfire situation, don't pack that item because it will combust and catch on fire. So think ahead there and be prepared and don't take flammables or items that could cause fire uh, to be worse for you or uh, much more localized, like in your back seat. Yes, absolutely. And then what types of considerations should people be making for like dependents? So for children, elderly, and even their pets, because I know that can be difficult in an evacuation. Right. You know, they're going to be frightened um, no matter the age, uh, kids that is, elders too, and pets. And with all three, you know, have that emergency pack, as you called it, in a certain place in your house that everybody knows about and everybody's planned for dog food, dog medications, and the same for elders and kids, snacks, bottled waters, because you don't know how long it's going to take you to evacuate to safety and you don't know what's going to happen along the way. And we've talked a lot about evacuations, which I think are important to be aware of because they don't happen very often. And so people aren't thinking about them very much. They can be taken by surprise. But there's also a lot of circumstances where you might be like stuck in your home for an extended time. Or like you said before, your power might go out. So what other things are useful to keep in your home in order to be prepared for those types of emergencies? Yes, it's again, it's batteries, flashlights, headlamp, as I mentioned earlier, food items, non-perishables that you can drink to stay hydrated, and food items to keep your uh, tummy full. If it's hot, you know, make sure that you have clothes in a certain area that are, are appropriate for the season and appropriate for the event. Obviously, these wildfires are intensely hot. And wildfires gobble up oxygen. And you saw that dangerous situation in Maui, and it happens much more frequently in California and other places. Yeah, and the effects can stick around for a really long time. So, like, you're not only preparing for while the natural disaster event is happening, but also the aftermath and what is to be expected there. Because even your example with Hurricane Harvey, you had to enter your home and you probably had to relocate for a period of time and all of that stuff. So are there any considerations there? Yeah, clothing, apparel, medications, you know, toiletries. In Harvey, we stayed with a friend for five weeks before we moved into temporary housing. Katrina people were trapped in New Orleans for two weeks. And many people died because they did not heed the evacuation warnings and evacuate. So always evacuate, drive safely, don't drive through uh, floodwaters, of course, and don't wait too long. See, many of us, Meg, are overconfident 
And that's why we drive into floodwaters. That's why we drive 75 miles an hour on an icy interstate. And that's why we wait too long in wildfire situations until it's too late. And if it's too late, you'll have trouble getting getting out and it could cause injury or even worse. Yeah, I think it's better safe than sorry. Even if you evacuate and nothing happens, that's kind of best case scenario rather than not evacuating and then everything bad happens. <laughs> Agreed completely. Well, I had something to, uh, to add to your outdoor listeners. People hike and camp and many times uh, folks go on hikes for weeks at a time, Boy Scout hikes in the mountains and uh, always have that first aid kit in your backpack with the essentials that we've discussed. And many of our hikers don't do that. And you've actually uh, uh, experienced uh, that with some of your guests on your show. You've got to be prepared when you're on these long-term hikes for inclement weather, dangerous conditions, potential fires. So, right, be prepared. Better to be safe than sorry. Yeah, and I think that's a good reminder, especially since most of our listeners are seasoned outdoor people and beginners as well, that like bad things from nature can happen whether or not we are like out on a hiking trail. And so we should be prepared in all aspects of our life. And actually the question, the thing that I had before was when it comes to like preparing for a natural disaster and having the things that you need, one thing that I have noticed in a lot of coverage of different disasters is that a lot of times like the help is delayed. Like they oftentimes it takes a couple days, sometimes weeks to get like water and food and even healthcare assistance. So that in and of itself, I think is a good reminder to have all of these things. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right. I mean, if you happen to be in a situation where there's uh, significant flooding and your home is flooded, it's quite likely that many of local hospitals will be flooded too. And that certainly occurs in flood events or heavy rain hurricane events. So do be prepared to, and have those supplies so that you can, again, evacuate if you're called to evacuate and reach a safe medical facility farther away from the serious weather and potential damages and injury. And one thing that I also want to talk about, because I don't want to breeze over this because in the northern United States, there is a lot of inclement weather in the winter time. Like I grew up in Minnesota and I remember, I don't know, sometime when I was in high school, but we lost power for like two weeks and it was December, January. That's a very cold period of time to be living in the winter time with no heat or anything like that. So even if... <laughs> You are not experienced flooding or anything like that. There's other types of disasters to prepare for. So I don't want to breeze over the winter ones. So what types of like winter preparations do you think would be necessary? I know that you're from Texas, but you guys have experienced some cold weather, like power outages and things like that. Well, that's correct. We had a, a very, very cold winter. We had a cold snap actually this winter, but the winter before in 2022, so there were hundreds of thousands of people without power in the state of Texas. And then my sister in Austin, they lost power for two weeks. We were lucky we lost power for only about 12 hours. So if you've got space heaters, whether they're electric or gas, be very, very careful with them. Those can obviously create 
fires, which you don't want. And again, extra mittens, gloves, blankets to stay warm, your flashlights, etc. You know, have a plan to go to a family member's house. It's um, some distance away where there is power and safety. And of course, snow tires, the tires themselves, and don't be overconfident about driving through the snow and the ice. A lot of us are overconfident there, you know. Oh, I've driven in snow and ice all my life. But it's very easy to slip on some ice and you could have a chain reaction auto accident with 30, 40 cars, as we saw in Virginia, I think, two winters ago. Yeah. And like you mentioned before, having an emergency kit in your car, too, is especially important for winter conditions because it's really easy to get stuck, um, even if you just veer off the road a little bit or something like that. And if temperatures drop, that can be especially dangerous. So I know that we kind of covered a lot of information and we kind of went back and forth to different types of disasters, but it's a hard topic to cover because there are so many different types of weather events to prepare for. So what types of resources do you know of or would you recommend to listeners to help them better prepare? Well, read credible news sources, listen to people like you, Meg. And, you know, be prepared ahead of time, as we said uh, a number of times, you know, have an evacuation plan, of course. Well, when I say credible news sources like Wonderground is a good news site for tropical weather. And sometimes when we watch the news, it can be more entertainment than news. And I won't name a particular medium or not, but it can be more entertainment and Oftentimes on the TV news, they're interested in raining, uh, ratings, excuse me, uh, and raining. <laughs> so they tend to fan the flames, pun intended, or be overly dramatic. Oh, this hurricane is going to hit. It's going to hit in 24 hours, and there's going to be a 30-foot storm surge. When in reality, if you go to credible news sources, like, for example, Wonderground, you can look at their computer models and and then get a good idea of, hey, this hurricane is going to hit probably 100 miles east of me and the dirty side of a hurricane is on the eastern and northeastern side of the hurricane. So I think we're OK to stay home. And I might throw this in wherever you live. If you lose power, gas, whether it's a cold weather event or a warm weather event. It's also very good to, to have some type of a portable or non-portable emergency generator, which can generate lighting, which can make things safer at night and potentially air conditioning and heat as well. Yeah, and I'll be sure to try to round up some resources for like lists of things to pack in emergency kits. So if people want to check out the show notes, they can look at that for each type of disaster or region. I'm not sure how I'll split it up yet. But with that, how can listeners learn more about you and your innovative first aid product, Dry Sea Bandages? Well, right. And before I answer that, when you said resources, you know, uh, look at FEMA. CDC, those are government sites. FEMA is the Federal Emergency Management Administration. And so they have resources there for your listeners and viewers to uh, make sure they're prepared with items, food, sundries, apparel, et cetera, to keep them safe during a serious weather event. And uh, back to Dry Sea, we're the world's only liquid indicating waterproof bandage. 
And this 3M Tegaderm is an example of a waterproof bandage that's used post-surgery usually. And let's say, Meg, you had back surgery. This is an example. You've got a wound. They place this 3M Tegaderm on your back on the wound site. And the standard of care is, Meg, go home and don't shower for four days. And the reason is, is this device looks exactly the same, wet, saturated, and dry. And typically, caregivers, nurses, doctors will say, if you really want to shower, Meg, then wrap saran wrap around your torso. It happens all the time. So strike that with dry sea. Dry sea is a waterproof bandage or dressing, but it has liquid indication technology. So it changes color. I've intentionally compromised this device and it changes color. So it changed color with the perimeter band, so I don't need to change it right now. But if water or from showering, bathing, swimming, floodwaters changes the color of this wound pad, I know it's time to change this bandage. And this one is dry and what it should look like. So dry sea is the world's only liquid indicating waterproof bandage. You know when to change your bandage. So it promotes safer, faster healing for wounds. Awesome. Yeah, I like that there's like that ring on the outside away from the wound coverage area. So you have like a little bit more of a warning before like moisture gets to the actual wound site. That's really clever. <laughs> oh, exactly. And thank you. So do you mind just sharing like your website and socials where people can maybe purchase these bandages if they're interested in adding them to their home first aid kits? Right. Instagram dry sea underscore bandage we're on facebook twitter soon to be TikTok. actually our website is dry sea.com d-r-y-s-e-e.com and uh, amazon probably the most efficient place to find dry sea or walmart but amazon's the most efficient place to find dry sea amazon prime usually delivers in two days we have three sizes and Amazon's excellent service will get our product in your hands uh, quickly and, and safely. Awesome. And I'll be sure to share those links in the show notes as well if people want to check them out and learn a little bit more about that option as a bandage. But with that, thank you so much, Brad, for sharing all of your information about natural disasters. And I hope it is helpful so more of us can be prepared. Right. That's the key. Most of us are not prepared hardly in any way, even when we live in an earthquake zone or a hurricane zone. So very important and timely that we're having this discussion. And I hope that we've helped you and your listeners in some way. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book, on YouTube, or subscribe to our weekly newsletter at theoutdoorminimalist.com. For even more updates, other educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with the shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.